All right, welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 24 on a frigid February 18th here, uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, recording again from two undisclosed locations uh, are your co-hosts, Tom Pyle. And I'm Hillary Sills intern, Mike McKenna. <laughs> welcome back, Michael. Thank you very much for the Lovely, lovely Mufaletta from Central Grocery. I found it in my office refrigerator when I braved the snow and the sleet to come downtown to record this podcast, uh, in part because I've got four people in my house, virtual learning or working, and there's no way I would have had any peace and quiet. So, um, but thank you very much for that. It was a lovely, lovely lunch. Appreciate it. You ate it all? Did you eat the whole thing? Oh no, I did not eat at all. Sorry, there's no way. Okay. I'm save saving the rest for dinner. Just because um, I can't eat it tomorrow. So, anyways, so it's just it's really going to be a snack in about an hour, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's not much left to be honest. <laughs> it's one of those deals where you're like, oh, I'll just have one more bite and then I'll move on. <laughs> um, uh, flown in from from New Orleans, by the way, uh, and I'm very sorry. Uh, we have no no annual Mardi Gras party this year. Um, well, you Mr. know, Mc Nick, Mr. McKenna Nick. has a uh, wonderful annual Mardi Gras party at his Richmond residence um, and uh, yet another victim of COVID. We're going to invite everybody next year, including everybody who comments on my columns in the Washington Times. I want to I want to see all these faces. Anybody who um, any gives a who uh, gives a review of our podcast yes. on Apple, uh, five or four or five. I know we strive for perfection, so uh, we'll also be invited. I'm inviting them for you. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where should we begin? Uh, pretty pretty crazy week. Um, the impeachment stuff. I don't have any. I think the the um, excerpts from the impeachment have been saturated in the Twitters and, and, and everywhere else. So I don't have anything for that. Um, but you want to, you want to wrap up? I think it went exactly as you planned. I think what, what was the vote on Saturday? Yeah, the vote was on Saturday as I, I, I knew it was going to be quick. I figured Saturday or Sunday, right. Cause they're, they're, they're all getting out for their, for the week recess. Right. Um, and um, the vote was pretty much exactly what I figured, right. That, you know, the, well, there were seven Republicans who voted to convict, the usual gang of suspects, plus um, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana. I'm going to make a prediction now. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about last week and my, my poor keyboard, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to make a prediction about um, Senator Kennedy, uh, Senator Cassidy, rather. Um, I believe at some point in the not too distant future, he's going to um, announce that he's an independent who's going to caucus with the Republicans, or he's just an independent. You know, he's been, he's been kind of steadily migrating away, both uh, personally and professionally from, from the party. And from, I think from reality or from the party? I, you know, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave what I, what I think about Senator Cassidy unspoken this week, because um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But yeah, he's not the sharpest pencil in the box. Um, so so, well, so there's that. And then the other thing I want to, I'm sorry, you want to get in on? No, something? no, I was going to, I was going to segue to the other Senator from Louisiana who ironically was a Democrat forever. Um, but uh, I'll let you Mary finish. 
Is it Mary Landrieu, the senator from Louisiana? The other senator? Uh, no, that would be Senator Kennedy. Johnson. Senator John Kennedy. They're all the same. Um, you, I tell you what, you say what you have to say about Kennedy, because I want to talk about Senator McConnell and, and his electability yep. comments for yep. a second. I want to get to that, too, because that was the subject of your recent column in the Washington Times. And oh, by the way, why isn't that newspaper plug in this podcast? We are giving them all kinds of free publicity. Anyway, so it's because one of the, it's my fault. One of the things that I really, really uh, have come to enjoy uh, in, in this wacky world that we live in is sometimes he, he goes way off the reservation. But man, I love when Senator John Kennedy is in a hearing and he's questioning witnesses. And here's one example of that. Uh, uh, it's, it's a way back now, all the way back to the 10th of February, but I thought it was worth sharing with the crowd. Multiple times. I have said that in every role. Okay, let me interrupt you because I, I got to go to another go subject. I appreciate your answer. I, I have to tell you, I'm very disturbed about your personal comments about people. Um, you know, it's not just one or two. I think you deleted about a thousand tweets. And it wasn't just about Republicans. And I don't mind disagreements in policy. I think that's great. I love the dialectic, but the comments were personal. I mean, you call Senator Sanders everything but an ignorant slut. That is not, that is not true. And <laughs> when, when, you, when you said these things, did you mean them? I wouldn't have said ignorant. <laughs> Senator, I have to say, I deeply regret my comments. I understand that, but and when I you said them, did you them. mean them? I understand you've, you've taken them back, but did you mean them? I'd say the discourse over the last four years on all sides has been incredibly polarizing. I'm asking about yours. Did you mean them? I really feel badly about them, Senator. Did you mean them? I feel badly about them. Did you mean them when you said them? I mean, I would say social media is a... Is, is a did you mean them when you discourse. said them? I feel terribly about them. Did you mean them when you said them or were you not telling the truth? I, I, I mean, I feel badly. I look back at them. I'm, I said them. I feel badly about them. I deleted tweets over Are you saying that because you want to be confirmed? No, I felt badly about them. And Did you mean them. them when you said them? Senator, I, I must have meant them, but I... <laughs> uh, it's just nobody in this town can just answer answer a, a question seriously act like i a, mean act. she ultimately would have even if she doesn't believe it which is clear that she doesn't she was gonna ultimately have to answer it anyway so why give him another 45 seconds to show just how completely disingenuous that this particular individual is and oh by the way it's the omb nominee near tandon who ran the 60 plus million dollar a year center for American progress and deleted over a thousand tweets where she basically, as Senator Kennedy alluded, called called Bernie Sanders everything but an ignorant slut. Yeah, I, I, I that's the first time I've heard that whole exchange. I heard the ignorant slut part. Um, two things strike me. One is, you know, you're absolutely right. She'd have been a lot better off just saying, you know what, when I wrote him, I meant him and I regret it. Right. You know, there's, there's things that, that I did in the heat of, in the heat of the moment that, that upon reflection, I regret. Right. 
at that point, everybody, every human, every human being would have been like, yeah, I've been there. Right. Um, you know, there's not a soul alive who hasn't said something they've regretted. Right. Um, so that's thought number one, you know, you're right. And, but thought number two is somebody coached her to do that. Right. There, there's actually somebody who got paid or is getting paid to be an advocate and or a lobbyist um, who coached her to answer the questions that way. Basically, she was coached to march further into the morass and deeper into the ditch. Um, and, you know, you, I've thought this for a number of years that um, if you're up for Senate confirmation, you shouldn't instantly kiss every senator's ass. You should occasionally just tell the truth. Like, boom, here's why, here's why we did what we did. And here's why I did what I did. And here's what I said, what I said, instead of saying, well, Senator, you know, I, I'd really rather focus on this other thing over here. Cause I'm like, you know, it, I get the kabuki part of it, but I also get the sense that it does a real disservice to everybody. And the thing about a guy like Kennedy is, you know, he, 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 sometimes he cuts away from the kabuki and cuts right to the bone. Right. He does. He does it really, really well because he never, I never feel like he uh, has like the prepared questions. He always goes after the, you know, from your gut. You know, I remember during the Kavanaugh hearings, he sort of, you know, did, 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 the, did a similar thing. So he's like, uh, he's like Tom Carper with some testosterone, right? You know, Tom, <laughs> you know, Tom Carper, Senator Carper does that stuff. And he's like, well, you know, I'm originally from West Virginia. I'm like West Virginia's third senator. So I love the coal industry. But let me ask you a question. He used to ask this question to Bush guys, Bush administration guys. How do you feel as a father about some of what you've done? You know, and you're just like, at the time, I remember thinking, I feel like you need to get out and eat some red meat, Senator. Um, <laughs> you know. And the thing about Kennedy is he doesn't he 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 doesn't um, fall prey to the to the weepy side of it, right? He just he's like, hey, did you mean it? Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Did you mean it? That's a very impressive way to ask that question. You just keep asking it, asking it, asking it. All right, I want to get to this real quick. It's just a it, this isn't a lightning round, but uh, I just wanted to, to pop it up before I forget. And we, we do want to get a special guest uh, on at some point from the EPA. I should probably save this for that, but it was just too good to pass up. E&E News reported uh, that um, Trump asked whether they should shut down the agency. Did you, see, did you catch that one? I did. Oh, my God, it was so good. Former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt delved into his legacy at his official portrait unveiling last month and recalled discouraging Donald Trump, the then president-elect, from shutting down the agency. He remembered meeting with Trump as the incoming administration was being put together, including who would lead EPA, a position Pruitt was later nominated for. As I've, quote, as I've looked at the mission of the agency, I recall very distinctly when I went to Trump Tower, Pruitt said, when I met with the president-elect at the time, he asked me a question. He said, Scott, should we shut down the agency? <laughs> Pruitt said, closing the agency has been discussed at times, primarily because EPA was correct, uh, created by executive order. Um, on the campaign trail in 2016, Trump talked about reducing the agency, leaving, quote, a little bit. I remember that. Um, 
I said, no, Mr. President, the agency has a very, very important mission in this country with respect to the environment. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I saw that, right? Um, you know, I had, I had three real quick thoughts about it, which was, you know, um, one, uh, you forget how, how uh, wild, wild west the transition was, right? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, the, 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 this current crew, the Biden administration, you know, they, they ran a transition that was, um, you know, like a bunch of MBAs would run a transition, right? Because that's what these guys are for the most part. They're a bunch of MBAs, right? Um, you know, the, the Trump transition was run like, hey, man, whoever's got the fastest gun in the saloon is going to win. Um, so that was thought number one. Thought number two was, um, you know, I hadn't thought about Scott in a while. You know, he actually wanted to be the attorney general. Um, and because he had been the yes. attorney general, yeah, he'd been the attorney general in Oklahoma, right? Yep. And, and in retrospect, I think everybody would have been much better served if the president had made Scott his attorney general instead of his administrator of EPA, right? Well, I mean, it was Sessions is, you know, I mean, Sessions is the one I would credit with putting Donald Trump on the uh, a map at least with the oh, Republicans. I, I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. You know, in, in a in a um, if I was going to fill the world with like you know my preferences. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jeff Sessions would have been chief of staff in the White House. Yeah. Year, right. Not Ryan's previous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now there were so many, as we've talked. Um, you know, we talked about ad uh, ad nauseum. There's just were, were a lot of unforced errors early, um, and I'm not going to get. Uh, I'm not going to get. Well, I think we I think we should move on because no. I don't I don't want to get into it too much. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll start running running my mouth about certain people that made certain decisions that were probably not in the well, best interest of President Trump. So, well, I'm happy to talk about Secretary Perry later on, but but let me just finish the thought on Scott Pruitt. Um, you know, I. I um, I love his first chief of staff, uh, both personally and professionally. I thought he did a great job. Um, I thought one of Scott's problems, initial first and initial problems was there was nobody that he listened to in that building. He should have hired Sarah Lyle, um, Sarah Magruder Lyle um, as something, right? Deputy chief of staff or chief of staff or senior advisor or something, because she was the only person that I know of who um, could make Scott understand that certain things were not um, the way to go, right? Oh, I mean, she's not, she wasn't a yes person, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. the, the issue. I don't think his first chief of staff was a yes person either. I think it was just one of those things like, you know, Scott never listened to him and that's a problem, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so. Look, you know. I mean, we defended him uh, to the end, right? I mean, we were way out on a limb on it and there were folks in the administration in the, uh, you know, in the Eisenhower building that wanted his head from the beginning for weird, strange reasons and, and other reasons. And, um, you know, um, symbolically, he was the first administrator to break the Republican mold, right? Of, of not putting some squishy moderate from New Jersey, um, you know, at that position or, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it was, you know, uh, a welcome change and it just, you know, kind of flamed out, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, lesson, lesson is, lesson is, same lesson is the rest of the administration, um, personnel, personnel, personnel. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you could, if you could only pick one thing in an administration, what policies they pursue or what people they appoint, 
pick the people they appoint a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, unless you've got something, I want to move on to the good and the bad. Well, it's actually the bad and the bad and the ugly with, with co coronavirus COVID. Uh, you ready for that? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on the COVID. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Cause I actually have, a, I have for the, for the first time in a while, I have a thought, but you first. So not a good week for the quote unquote stars of the coronavirus response, the coastal governors, um, Andrew Cuomo and, and Gavin Newsom. Cuomo is quickly and ferociously um, coming under fire for hiding the evidence, uh, doctoring the evidence uh, with respect to nursing home deaths in the state of New York. Um, and uh, he keeps digging further in. Um, here is one of his well-rehearsed PowerPoint press conferences, just a quick clip, and then uh, we can chat a little bit about where we think the end game here is on Cuomo. COVID did not get into the nursing homes by people coming from hospitals. COVID got into the nursing homes by staff walking into the nursing home. Okay, this thing goes on and on and on. And the um, other thing that's happened subsequently is Democrats from the legislature are moving to strip his emergency authority uh, to manage the response or to let it lapse. And um, there's all kinds of mafioso style thuggery going on as well um, in New York with uh, Cuomo's handler um, and some state legislatures, uh, set legislators uh, going back and forth. The great thing about this is that the Republicans are, are largely sta standing beside and I mean, they're fanning the flames a little, but they're largely setting aside and letting him implode. In fact, when you lose the view uh, you know that uh, that things aren't going well for for King Cuomo. Yeah, I'm sorry. Are you pulling to play something from the View? No, no. I just. I, I, yeah, no. I, yeah, I. I mean, I think how this ends is he resigns. Um, I don't see how it ends any other way, right? I mean, he's he's his aide, right, Michelle DeRosa, right? She's already essentially she she essentially um, confessed to a fe a felony, right, a federal felony in public. Um, and that, you know, and, and that the governor was aware of it. I, I Yeah, and he didn't want to co cooperate or he didn't want to provide information to... He, he uh, specifically, he specifically, um, he specifically obstructed the collection and dissemination of information to the federal government um, with respect to um, where the money was going and where, um, where the patients were. And that's, I guarantee you, it's a violation of some federal crime somewhere, and it's just a matter of time until until a federal, um, until an attorney, U.S. attorney, finds him and and um, and starts to charge him up and down on it. It, it. I I I literally don't see how this ends any other way than him walking out the door um, under his own power, right? Because um, it's I, I I am I have no zero no sympathy whatsoever. In fact, uh, if that happens. I will, I will be so grateful for my family who still live in the Buffalo area. Um, I don't know who is going to replace this guy, but he is, he has been a complete disaster for, especially for Western and upstate New York. So yeah, I, I never seen, I never seen anybody um, confess to 
obstructing federal uh, collection of information. I'm just, I mean, I, when that, when that, you know, when, when DeRosa did that in that press conference, I almost fell over. I'm like, holy mackerel, you just, it's, you can't, that grant conditions all over the federal government are, you know, we, when we tell you to get something, you got to get it. Um, you know, and then to, to implicate the governor in it, that's a conspiracy. And as we all know, um, even conspiracies to commit misdemeanors are felonies. So are they, you know, are themselves felonies? So I, Guy's on a clock, right? Don't know how it's going to go, but he's on a clock. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's What's that German word for this uh, when you're watching someone's... Uh, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. It literally, means, it literally means the shade of joy, the, the <laughs> joy in the shade, right? The, the joy in the darkness of somebody else is how it gets translated, and that's a good enough translation. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm guessing... Um, I know who coached near Tandon. Oh, lay it on me. I guess it's, I'm guessing it was TJ Ducklow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I feel, I feel bad about, about what happened to, to Mr. Ducklow. And I'll tell you why, right? Um, he had what was obviously a really bad personal encounter with a reporter who I suspect he knew, right? Because here's the, the story, the, the, the specifics of this are important, are important right? Um, Politico had a male reporter call Mr. Ducklow and, a, and the actually the lead reporter on his Tara Palmieri call Alexa McKinnon, the, McKinnon at CNN, right? To ask about, about um, this, right? Their relationship and potential conflict, right? And you had to read the story close. TJ um, called Tara back, right? And made a couple of comments about her personal life that indicated a couple of things. One is, is that um, his mom didn't raise him with a lot of, a lot of um, deference towards the, the, um, the fairer sex. And that, and that too is that he knew her, right? There was, there, there's a lot of personal blood there. Um, you know, he 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 basically told Tara that part of the reason why she was hunting this story down was because Alexi had Alex McKinnon had McKinnon had um, had been the object of affection, and I'm cleaning that up for the fans at home. Had been the object of an affection for a boy that they were both in a contest with. You know, you and I deal with reporters all the time. We have personal friends who are reporters. You can't do that, and you can't say stuff like that. And well, it's just, it's just, to me, it's okay. That's fine. And, and ironically, that um, was one of the things, this very similar situation was one of the things that led to Pruitt's demise. Um, and we won't get into that either, but. Um, I'd love to get into that. <laughs> no, the point is, is this stuff behind the scenes, this, this stuff happens all the time and it spills up and it, and it killed this guy. Uh, well, it killed you know, this guy. It killed I, him. He worked, barely worked during the during the campaign since Biden barely worked during the campaign to get his dream job in Washington, his big office, and now he's gone. The thing that that um, struck me about it was Joe Biden. You know, gave his little speech, his little rally, saying, "I tell you, you guys don't ever you act in a certain way, and you don't respect the D dot do, you'll be fired on the spot." And then what did they do? Yeah, they gave him a one-week suspension, thinking that maybe this thing would blow over, right? Well, you know that that actually wasn't the worst part of the story. The worst part of the story was they waited three weeks to do anything about it, 
and they knew it was a story. And you know how they knew it was a story? Because at the second they got the they got the inquiry from Politico, they pulled the trigger on a people, on a people profile of TJ and and Alexi, right? Which um, you know, about how wonderful it was, loving the White House, that kind of stuff. Um, so you know, they understood what was going on and it was three weeks before they dropped the one week suspension. It was only after Politico actually wrote the story that they dropped the suspension on, on Ducklow, which tells you that, um, right, they knew, they understood the gravity of the situation and they either um, understood that President Biden was kidding when he said that stuff or they didn't care, um, yep. you know, and- right. It's further proof that they're running the whole place and he's just, they're winding them up and yeah, shipping them up down, shipping them to the State Department to say hello to a grinning grip. It was interesting that when he went to Milwaukee, nobody asked a question about that. Well, of course not. Well, I would have expected the CNN people in the the crowd to ask a question about, hey man, the last guy was particularly difficult on the press. You come right out of the gate, your deputy press secretary scorches um, a reporter just trying to do her job, um, you know, uh, what goes on. White House, whatever, press conference lady who hasn't answered a question yet, as far as I can tell. Yeah, you know, the, the thing, the thing, I mean, I feel bad for, I feel bad for Mr. Ducklow, I do, right? He's got stage four lung cancer, and I know he's sick, and I'm sure he's excited to be in love and all this other stuff. Um, but the right answer would have been, he should have just said what, said what happened right away, come out, and either resigned or said, right, you know, he'd say, look, I'll take a posting at HUD, right? You know, send me off the HUD as, as punishment. Um, he didn't do any of that. He just, he said, you know what, we're just going to try to muscle our way through this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bar is high. Yeah. The bar is high. The bar is high. It, it, it you know, this is a, a personal observation. Being in the media is difficult for everybody. Journalists have a tough job, especially difficult for females, right? Um, in a male-dominated world um, like politics, and and I feel bad. I feel bad for the um, ladies who work the White House beat because they must be thinking in the back of their heads now. Um, don't be confused by the fact that the press secretary is a woman. She is in fact a Biden person first, and a female second. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, circling back to COVID, um, I want to play this from the CN the the CNN town hall meeting, the breath of fresh air. Um, this is Biden on uh, the vaccine strategy uh, that he inherited. And uh, the biggest thing, though, as you remember, when you and I t- no, I shouldn't say it that way, as you remember, but when you and I talked last, we talked about it's one thing that the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office, but a vaccinator. How do you get the vaccine into someone's arm? Okay. <laughs> so does he not remember that he got his vaccine shot before he was inaug- before his inauguration? I don't know. What are you thinking? What I'm thinking is, is that uh, he stumbled over his words, and then of course the media covered it up, saying, "Well, you know," and in the in the context of the totality totality of what he said, he really didn't like. You know, he really didn't say there was no vaccine. And then Fauci, of course, they let him loose again. And now the 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 media, the state aided media, 
is asking him, all right, was there a strategy or not? Was there a vaccine or not? Well, of course there was. And are you guys starting over or not? Well, of course we're not starting over. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, they're, they're not coming, they're not coming out of the gate strong as I guess my, my overall point. No, yeah, I was, you know, I did, that's the same observation I was going to make is that, you know, these guys, you know, during the campaign, they're like, we're going to do it different. We're going to do it better. And we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And all during the campaign, I'm thinking to myself, these guys aren't going to do anything different because there's nothing else to do except what the Trump guys did, which was throw money at it and hope it was going to be okay. Right. Um, and that's what these guys are doing. They're throwing money at it and hoping it's going to be okay. And, you know, you look at the, you know, the vaccine rate, a hundred, uh, his first, his first vaccine was, you know, target was a hundred shots and a hundred million shots in my first hundred days. Well, dude, we were clipping along at about a hundred, you know, a rate of about 125 million shots in the first hundred days, the day he walked in the door. So I'm, I'm waiting for a story. And this is how, you know, the press is finally getting serious about the Biden administration. I'm waiting for this story, right? How the Biden guys have basically done nothing different than the Trump guys were doing with respect to the um, coronavirus. Well, with respect to vaccines, the, if if they were on track for 125 and the new bar is 100, then they're actually doing less than what the Trump administration did. And one of his big criticisms of the Trump uh, administration was on the whole issue of schools. And um, well, I got a feeling that um, the the issue of well, the CDC guidance, I should say, uh, on reopening schools is actually, uh, if implemented, would close more schools than are currently open. Um, and I want to play a clip from our belo- our our new vice president uh, when asked point blank about the issue of of uh, teachers going back to school. Uh, here here's the clip. You know, the CDC has said it is not a prerequisite for teachers to be vaccinated for them to go back to school. But many teachers are wary of going back to school. And we've had some cities have to sue the teachers union or sue their own school districts to try to get these schools to reopen. Can you reassure teachers who are listening right now that it is safe for them to go back to school, even if they are not vaccinated, if these public health measures like distancing and masks are being implemented? So first of all, let me just say this, and the president has said it, and we're all really clear, teachers should be a priority. Teachers should be a priority. Look, let me just tell you something. I love teachers. My first grade teacher, Mrs. Frances Wilson, attended my law school graduation. Mm -hmm. Teachers are critical to our children's development. They should be able to teach in a safe place and expand the minds and and the opportunities of our children. So teachers should be a priority along with other frontline workers, and we're going to make them a priority. I believe that 22 states, I believe, have prioritized teachers in terms of vaccination. Is it safe for them? Well, I think that we have to decide if we can put in place safe measures. This is why, and it's so important, we passed the American Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan, which the president and I have proposed, is a plan that is about getting our schools back open. Why does this connect with what we're talking about right now? It's going to be safer for our schools to reopen when we can get our schools the the infrastructure needs, like helping them with their ventilation systems, helping them create social distancing with, with bare 
barriers, the things that are necessary to get them back open in a safe but way. I don't want to, I don't want to beat it to death, but I just, I know there are teachers listening and the CDC has said they don't have to be vaccinated to go back to school. Of we course think it's the priority. priority. We think they should, we think they should be a priority. Uh, okay. We think they should be a priority and the states are making decisions individually about where they will be on the list of who gets vaccinated. I believe they should be a priority. The president believes they should be a priority. There's a lot to unpack with this. And this was just part of a long stammering interview that she gave. The first, the first thing is that the teachers union own this party. And it is clear that they are taking their marching orders from them at the expense of our children or children, I should say, who go to public schools. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, the, the great thing about it is, um, is that suburban moms um, and urban moms and, you know, are getting educated all over the country are getting educated in that central fact, right? That for teachers, the most important thing for many teachers is their union, not the kid. Um, and that's, you know, that's something we've talked about for a generation. Um, one of the good things about coronavirus is, it has made that obvious to even people who don't know anything else about the world, right? Yeah, John John Roberts on Fox was riffing about this, um, you know, the the CDC guidance and the, um, you know, uh, about face here about uh, that they've just done, and he said, well, you know, I I actually took. Two of my kid, my my two kids, I took them out of uh, public school and I put them in Catholic schools, and I'm leaving them there. Uh, they 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 have less money, they have less money, and yet almost all the Catholic schools in this country are in are doing in person learning, and there are no there are no um you know they're not spreaders, they're not you know nothing nothing is you know it, it's proving that 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 it is a safe place to go to work. So what's the difference between them? And healthcare workers or anybody else. Um, so, so at the top of this, at the top of this last March, right, eighty-five percent of um, K through twelve kids went to public schools in this country, right? That number is probably down to around seventy-five percent now. It's hard to get good numbers right now, as you might imagine. I think we're probably that number is going to look like seventy percent when we come out of this coronavirus, and I'm not sure it's ever going back up. And you think about it, that's, you know, the, I hope whatever the union's getting out of this is worth it um, because it's doing an enormous amount of damage. Forget the kids, right? That, that nobody cares about the kids except for the parents, right? And me, um, it's doing an enormous amount of damage to the union long-term, right? They're going to have fewer. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they are making the case for People who have had problems or or have been critical of uh, this this iron grip that they've had on on education. Here's here's another thing that or two things. One personal thing, she always pulls some ridiculous story out of her childhood as if anybody cares. Well, I mean, she that's just a tick uh, for sure. Well, I mean, it's a it's a it's a um it's a habit of the politician who's unable to sustain an argument across multiple questions, right? And Savannah Guthrie, um, who was doing that questioning, 
was in her own way every bit as good as Senator John Kennedy, right? She was just coming back and coming back and coming back, and she wasn't going to be held off. And eventually the vice president did what she had to do to get her off, right? Oh, she, yeah. No, she never did answer the question. And um, th there was much more to that interview. There's a couple other clips I'll put in the show notes. But, um, you know, she fumbled through that whole thing. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a midterm. This is, to me, this could be sort of that Tea Party thing, right? This could be the sort of the spark for the midterm and potentially a way for the Republicans to claw back some of the suburban vote that they've lost over, over uh, the last couple of, of- Yeah, there is no organizing force on this planet like suburban moms. Um, they, they, I don't understand it completely, but I've seen it long enough to under, to, to know that it's there, right? They, they talk, they um, interact, Facebook, whatever, kids, bus stops, schools. Um, and they all have a very similar sentiment to this, right? That, that this has gone on long enough and it needs to stop. And, um, yeah. No doubt, no doubt in my mind, it's going to be a, a big problem for the administration. And then, you know, the administration senses it's going to be a big problem, too, because otherwise they'd just be giving the teachers um, answers back to everybody, right? Hey, you know, it's not safe. It's not safe. It's not safe. If you notice, the one thing Vice President Harris didn't say was, it's not safe. She yeah. said, we think teachers should be a priority. We think teachers should be ever. We think teachers should be a priority. They can't contradict the CDC and they don't want to contradict the teachers. So they're in a terrible spot. Yep. And, well, and they're, they're in a terrible spot of their own making because they made all kinds of promises. That's right. That's that right. They know they can't keep. They couldn't keep. And now they're trying to worm their way out of it. Here's the third, third piece of that. That's, that's right. That, that, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, uh, no, you first. No, the third part that, that, nerved me was that they're holding they're holding these students hostage for that for that for that bill for for yet another 1.9 trillion dollars uh of which there's already money that hasn't been spent for schools there's a, what is it uh, yeah, there's been, like a trillion bucks sitting around in in various accounts that haven't been spent yeah. from the other uh relief packages and so they're using this you know issue as a as a way to try to 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 you know, use it as an excuse for uh, getting this package through. Oh, we need to pass the American whatever the heck they're calling it act, so that these these schools can have more money to create ventilation systems. Yeah. I, I, when it, are they going to get the money? When are they going to install the ventilation system by by the middle of next month? Yeah. It, by it, the it, summer. I mean, it's it's. Um... It's pretty egregious, and um, you know they're they're. I, I expect that you know they're they're on a track to to pull the trigger in the middle of March. Um, my very strong suspicion is is that either somebody in the House or somebody in the Senate eventually starts to raise questions about is this the right answer? Wouldn't it be better to get some some bipartisan buy-in so we could spread this blame? Um, I do, I do not expect this thing to go forward unmolested, this $1.9 trillion, right? It just, it, it, it makes no sense on its own face. And, and somebody's eventually going to object um, just because the folks who are up in 2022, they're going to be on the, you know, it'll be their first big vote. It'll be a bad one. Um, and I just don't see them. I don't see all of them just falling into line, you know, in the house, all you need is five or six moderates to get up and say, I'm a no on this thing. 
right? At some point, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. All right, I, that's all I got on COVID this this week. There's plenty, plenty more, but uh, I think those are some of the highlights. Well, let me let me make a let me make a global contextual observation about this. That um, you know, the president was was treated um, uh, like a high school debater out in Milwaukee. Right? Nobody asked him any tough questions. Everybody said, you know, Mr. President, um, how do you explain your wonderfulness? Right? He was getting those kind of questions. Um, but the fact that Savannah Guthrie asked the vice president much more difficult questions than anybody in the White House press corps has asked anybody, um, and the unsureness of the Biden administration on this topic, um, you know, you can tell their feet are moving around trying to find the right place. Um, we're not even 30 days in. I think I think the honeymoon's pretty much over, right? They're going to start getting hard questions, and not just from the media but also from the hill about what are you guys doing why in what order and how much and um i just get a sense that they're not at all prepared for any of that not I, any of it i actually don't know what you're talking about um the i have seen some serious fastballs being thrown at jen sakai and here's one of them Saki, jen saki sorry Question from this morning: The sure. president received ashes for Ash Wednesday. Um, what, if anything, is he giving up for Lent? Oh, what a good question! I should have asked him that question today. Um, I, I will have to follow up with you on that <laughs> particular question. I don't know. Sometimes people don't give something up. Sometimes they do something good. So it could be either option. But I will see if I can get more information. She's going to circle back with us on that one. Yeah, I, you know, uh, given that it's it's the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, I, I would assume by now we have an answer. I'm looking forward to breathless reporting on it. Maybe by the same outlet, I guess, was it, it I want to say Politico, but I don't want to say it unless I'm sure. Perhaps the same outlet that let us know that he beat his granddaughter in, uh, in Mario Brothers uh, up at Camp David would also like to report on this. But also, uh, he likes to put logs on the fire. Don't yeah, that too. Well, I mean, I, I understand that. Sometimes it gets cold. You want logs on the fire. You want to pull the blanket up around your, your legs a little bit while you're sitting in front of the fire. Right? While you're taking your afternoon nap. <laughs> I, uh, this is just going to be like, uh, I'm so glad we started this podcast now. Because I thought Trump was the gift that keeps giving, but um, no, no, no. These guys are, are just they're 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 right in line. They're like right, they're neck and neck for sure. This is gonna be the greatest four years of our lives. We just don't know it yet. I guess we got to talk Texas brownouts, storms. Yeah, I'm happy to That's, talk. We Texas. do we do have to bring up some energy, or lack thereof. You um, don't have to, but um, pretty pretty uh, abysmal situation going on. And of course the um, the Twitter war and and, and thankfully I've, I've you know I keep reminding myself that there are very very few people actually on Twitter um, and the ones who are are most are almost like universally either disliked or or people don't care about them anyway uh, it's just a bunch of lefties and righties yelling at each other but of course the uh, conservatives or uh, the Rick Perry's of the world are, are blaming the windmills and then the, the greens are blaming the, the natural gas, the fossil gas, by the way, they're starting to call yeah. it fossil gas um, as well, uh, which was tested by some so corporate center for climate 
something or other. So really, I'm surprised it wasn't taught. It wasn't tested by Frank Luntz. It seems like the kind of thing he'd do. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Texas is actually a pretty simple, simple straightforward story, right? Um, you know, the renewable, the, the wind, right? There's no real solar in Texas, uh, no grid level solar, right? Uh, the wind um, didn't show up at all, right? The, the grid operators had no expectation it was going to show up, but it underperformed even their low expectations. Um, and natural gas had a freeze-off problem, which is not uncommon in the Southwest, right? Warm states that don't have winterized gas systems, right? Um, you know, never happens in the North, not that I can think of in my life, right? Places like Pennsylvania and Minnesota, they don't have the problem because they, 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 they insulate and winterize their, system, their gas systems, right? So it was real bad, but the, the thing that's not being said and the thing that I worry about is we have these examinations of it that people aren't gonna say is the real problem is the coal wasn't there, right? All of the, the wind generation in Texas, right? And all the advantages that Texans has, have given to the wind Right, CRES, right, rebuilt, you know, building that transmission, CRES, um, and setting up the market design and all that stuff, right? All the advantages they give to wind has meant that wind has basically supplanted coal, right? It's backed out the coal. So on a day like last Monday, when you needed coal, you didn't have it, right? Um, you know, renewables weren't performing, natural gas was slightly off. Its capacity factor was still like 62, 63%. It just wasn't the 85% that everybody expected because of the freeze on. Well, um, it's also, a, you know, we have said this forever, you know, gas is not the ideal um, uh, source for electricity generation either. It's extremely volatile and it has higher um, beneficial uses as well. And coal is just like, it's like as if God made it to burn to generate electricity, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, you know, gas, you can't, you, you can park some of it, but not a lot of it, right? And certainly not on site. So it's subject to, it's subject to stuff like freeze offs. Um, anyway, that's the bottom line is, is that what no one's going to talk about is, is that wind backed out coal, all the coal plants that should have been running in Texas have spent the last five or six, seven, eight years getting retired. Um, and you needed them on a day on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and probably even today um, to run. I, I would like to say that it's a one-off, but what we've now gotten is we've had blackouts in our two most populous states. Um, and both are the products of decisions made by state governments, right? Not, you know, these were not natural God-made catastrophes or disasters. These were man-made disasters in California and Texas. And that's the other thing I don't think anybody's going to talk about. Well, it was really cold. It was 11 degrees in Texas. Right. 11, 11 degrees is cold. You know what? But it was 20 below in Minnesota. And there weren't widespread blackouts. No, right? but a couple, uh, was it last winter or the winter before they, they forced uh, some demand, they curtailed some demand even there? Because Minnesota's got crazy going on too with with respect to their and that's my and that's and that's my point right the, the the grid operator in texas the governor of texas the governor of california cal iso the grid operator in california the, the public utility commissions in both states they're no better or worse or smarter or dumber than the governors and state utility commissions and the grid operators in your state um which means what you've seen in california what you've seen in texas bad decisions getting exacerbated by stressful conditions 
are going to eventually come to all of us. Of course. Uh, and, and, and the, the answer of course, for, from the left is we need more wind. Um, we, need, yeah. we need, we need more green new deal, not less. And, and the answer from, you know, uh, well, let me let me shatter some myths, myths here. Texas didn't uh, sprout uh, this. This didn't these conditions didn't sprout up in Texas from a free market perspective. There were a whole lot of favoritism given towards renewables, towards wind, um, a lot of subsidization of the transmission to get it from where people where the wind blows to where people live, and those were under Republican governors, including Rick Perry. And not including Rick Perry, only Rick Perry. Um, you know, he was the governor for a million years. He did all this stuff. If you're looking to blame somebody, you should be looking at him. Um, and I, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be mean or any of that other stuff, but it's an inescapable conclusion. Let me let me just toss some numbers. There's there's four numbers that I think are interesting, right, in this conversation, um, and they are the capacity um, factors that that the right. Wind, um, wind's capacity factor, um, around 10% those days. Gas was about 62, coal was about 63%, nuclear was about 80%. Um, we could have had 50 times as many turbines on there and it wouldn't have made any difference, right? Capacity factor still would have been about 10. Yeah, um, and that's, can I just, so, so that I understand it too, the wind guys were bragging that they weren't the problem because they were already not being counted on to produce any electricity in the first place yeah that's exactly right you know it, it the grid operator had no expectations the wind guys managed to fail even those low expectations so you know it, it, it the gas the gas guys um that stuff can be fixed um the wind guys you know the unreliability the unreliability of wind both daily and seasonally you know, inside of each day and inside of each season, that's not a bug. That's a feature. That, 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 that's, 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 that's the technology. That's um, right. And, and, and that's something also you know, heavily subsidized. The, the largest subsidy for any single energy source collected collectively is this, is wind, mainly through the production tax credit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and we all say, hey, 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour. I'm like, sure, to the people who know something, right? But um, you know, we should just basically say the truth, you know, say what it is. You know, they, they get a bonus for producing, right? They get a 20 to 30% bonus, depending on where you are, what state you're in, right? Um, 20, 30% bonus for producing electricity. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, for, for producing the same electricity as everybody else, right? The electrons are no different. Yeah. Um, I, I'm... I am going to, you are going to get a sense of how corrupted, you're going to get a sense on this pretty quickly about how involved the Republican Party is with the wind lobby when you see, um, you know, how these, how these autopsies go. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm super concerned that the wind money has spread around enough that Republicans are going to be unable to clearly identify the problem and clearly state it, right? Sure. And, and that's a function of the fact that most of the wind blows in red districts. Yeah. Uh, I encourage everybody to read the Washington Times editorial tomorrow. I, I'm not sure what it's going to say, but I'm confident it will have insights. <laughs> confident. 
Well, I, I do know this, as with almost everything else, in, in especially in the energy policy arena, um, all of this will be twisted, um, you know, in a way that seeks it, uh, that every side seeks advantage in terms of their arguments, Yep. Uh, which is part of the par for the course. But uh, honestly, um, you know, a, a very sort of, uh, you know, thorough autopsy about this uh, would would contribute immensely to to, you know, the discourse. Uh, I don't expect it to to happen. Um, and that's why you and I do this and also why IR does what it does by using the numbers as you rattle off some of those numbers and show uh, exactly what's going on here. Uh, this is a precursor to yeah, net zero. This is what they, this is when they say we need to, you know, make the grid, you know, smarten the grid up and do all this stuff. They're, they are talking about spending millions if not billions of taxpayer dollars to try to create a grid that will enable uh, them to wheel uh, this renewable energy to where people live. Uh, yeah, you know, that that's the funny thing. This, this thing in Texas, um, I, I think it probably killed the idea of, of, uh, of a grid that's run on, you know, a net zero grid by 2035. And I'm almost certain it's killed the electric vehicle thing by 2035 too, right? Because everybody now looks at it and no matter what you think, um, if you're a normal citizen and not tangled up in energy Twitter, um, you're going to look at it and say, okay, I'm not sure what the truth is, but I know I don't want to rely on just those guys anymore. And I don't want to be cold. Right, right. I, I don't want my kids to have to wear six or seven pairs of pants. This is a, you know, this is a, they're dead. Their people are dead out there. They're 30 dead people, right, in Texas um, because of bad decisions that state government made. And that, that is, um, that's inexcusable. And, I, and I, like I said, I think it's impossible to just go along now with the conversation, the, the 2035 conversation and the 2050 conversation, like something isn't fundamentally busted with the model because everybody now sees that everything's fundamentally busted with the model. Whether you're a big fan of California or a big fan of Texas, nobody looks at it and says, yeah, I definitely want to go there. Right, right. And of course there will... Uh... The, the the left will say oh well the you know they have their own they have their own grid um you know they have all this deregulation it's like the enron situation all over again right this is what you're going to hear from from the greens and all that i'm so. sure of it you know the trick the 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 one fact that i encourage you to pay attention to as this conversation goes on is miso right the midwest independent system operator which operates, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, some Canada, and a tier all the way down into some parts of Eastern Texas, right? You know how MISO survived this thing? Kept the lights on? You know, while you're not reading about blackouts from Minnesota on through to Oklahoma and Arkansas? 52%, 50, 52% coal, 26, right. 26, 27% um, natural gas, and the rest was kind of a, a mismatch of nuclear and hydro. Um, you know, there's no substitute um, for coal on, on, on the coldest days of the year. There just isn't. And, and MISO gets that. And, you know, should we have more transmission in the Texas? Sure, if it hooks us up to, to um, coal, 
to sturdy, reliable sources of energy, right? Gas that has been winterized or coal. But if it all it does is send us to more wind turbines that are free that are frozen, eh? Texas is already the number one state in terms of wind generation. Already the number one state. And and rem, as a reminder, the the operators there did not were not even planning to depend on the wind prior to the storm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm perfectly comfortable. Look, if I was a natural gas guy, and I'm not, if I was a natural gas guy, I'd get it right, right down and say, yeah, here's what we did wrong, right? And here's what we need to do to fix it, because it is fixable, right? Um, and then I would point out that the thing about the wind guys is it's not fixable. Nothing, they, they cannot do anything. Like I said, it's a feature. It's not a bug. It's right. what they are. As usual, our crack policy team wrote a good analysis piece on this. Um, I will uh, put it in the show notes for our, our listeners to drill down into the details a little bit. Um, and we'll talk about this a lot more, I'm sure, because the, the left has moved, moved on. Uh, they, they've done a lot of polling and think that this clean energy stuff was, was the answer uh, in terms of trying to sell to the public. Um, but uh, clearly, uh, they're going to have a lot of uh, they're going to have a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a clean up in aisle five. Clean up in aisle five. Yeah. All right. What else do we have? Should we talk about? Um, can you play another clip from from Joe Biden's stellar performance the other day? Sure. All right. Let me see which one I want to do here. There was just so many doozies. You know, Chinese leaders. If you know anything about Chinese history. It has always been the time when China has been victimized by the outer world is when they haven't been unified at home. So the central, oh, to vastly overstated, the central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. I point out to him, no American president can be sustained as a president if he doesn't reflect the values of the United States. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country, and they their leaders are expected to follow. <laughs> okay, so as I have stated to you, as you have, I think, agreed with me, between him and Kerry, I don't know who's more wrong on foreign policy. Yeah, you know, we're we're not good, we're not good judges here because because both you and I are kind of personally um you know, John Kerry sets us both on our edge, right? Um, you know, the thing, the thing about, the thing about uh, President Biden is, you know, he, he's personally inoffensive. He's just, he's that guy, right? He's your neighbor who's like a good guy. He's just wrong about everything, right? Um, oh. Although I will, I will say that um, the Chinese might want to think about hiring him as a propagandist because, yes. you know, he, he spun concentration camps um, and the need, therefore, as a culturally different norm. Well, a culturally different norm that emphasized unity. Yeah. If, if you, unity, um, which makes me wonder when he says unity about America, what he means, right? Um, well, I will note too that um, he he used his he stuck his fist out and closed it, 
and white knuckled when he was referring to his buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. it... <laughs> it's a bot. It's. You know, there are moments. There are moments when there are moments when you think this is going to be okay because um, the crowd, you know, Team Biden is not really crazy, and they're not going to have that much chance to do anything really bad. Um, and then there's moments where you wonder, like, do they actually really mean that? Like, does he actually does he listen to himself talk? You know, like like it, it, you didn't put you didn't play this clip, but further on, right? He, he talks about how. You know they have more retired people in China than workers. That that's not true. It's not even remotely true, right? Um, they're nowhere near that. Um, you, you just kind of wonder if somebody. I wonder sincerely if you can have a, an informed opinion about something if you don't have command of the facts of the situation. Well, if you don't have the command of the facts of the situation, you're supposed to rely on what they used to call the fourth branch to provide that information. And I hope you are right. I hope that Savannah Guthrie is the beginning of what would, would, would be at least a semblance of scrutiny um, over this, because it's just the, the, the word salads that come out of his mouth um, are just as offensive as, as in my opinion, as, as the other side feels about Trump. Well, it, it, it it's worse, right? Because, you know, President Trump was given talking and would just answer a question until he got on all three sides of whatever the, the issue was, right? <laughs> leaving, right. You, leaving you to decide, to decipher and decide, I wonder what he really thinks, right? right. Um, you know, um, President Biden says some alarming things, um, including the idea that, uh, you know, the, the, the difference between China and us are cultural norms, not like, hey, we're right and they're wrong about right. incarcerating people, about right. people, about forcible rape, about compulsory abortion, about um, impoverishing third world nations, right? But the, yeah, you know what? The difference is he likes Coke and I like Pepsi. And yeah. that's one of those damn things, right? Um, you know, it, it, he's got to do what he's got to do and I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, that is in a nutshell what he said. It has a Neville Chamberlain feel to the thing, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, and I'm not even going to bring up the fact that he doesn't think people who live in the inner cities know how to use the internet. Uh, but that's I'll probably, throw that one in the, in the, in the uh, show notes as well. I appreciate you keeping me away from, from the third rail. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I, it's just, it's not going to, I mean... It's, it's not going to get any better is what no. it's not going to do, right? No. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, with respect to Savannah Guthrie, I, I said this, I said this to you right at the, right after, I don't know when it was, probably top of the year. I said, you know, the great thing about moments like this is people surprise you. People you do not expect to step forward, step forward. People that you do not um, normally rely on um, do great things, right? Um, and for all you know, Savannah Guthrie is going to be the the person who asks gets to ask tough questions to this administration, right? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, there will be more than just her. So. Yes, yeah. we all hope that, but you never can tell. Well, I, I do want to uh, I do want to do play one of the lighter moments of the of the town hall, um, where the president was asked a, a you know a fun little question about you know how he feels about getting uh, hanging out at the in the residences of the White House. Here we go. 
Mr. President, let me ask you, because I don't think I have the authority to do it by Sunday. You have, um, over the years, over your career, you've already spent a great deal of time at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, except now you're living there and you're president. It's been four weeks. What's it like? How's it different? I get up in the morning and look at Joe and say, where the hell are we? Uh, no. It <laughs> There's more to that. <laughs> uh... Including... Including a part where uh, he says he's been over there, you know, went for the every morning, went to Oval for the morning briefings, but, you know, go, never been up to the residence. Does that mean that Barack Obama never invited him up to the residence or what? Yeah, yeah no, that's that's exactly what that means. I, and I thought it's Should funny. I play that? Should I play that or what? It's funny. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's, let, me, let me finish the clip out then, because I, I thought that. That's yeah. Odd. It's, um, look, it's, uh, you know, I've only been president four weeks. And sometimes, uh, because things are moving so fast, not because of burden, <laughs> it feels like four years. It's not because of the burden. It's because there's so much happening that you focus on, you're constantly focusing on one pro problem or opportunity, one right odd seriatim. But what happens is that it's... Uh, what I didn't realize, I had been in the Oval Office a hundred times as vice president, or more, more than that, um, every morning uh, for the initial meetings, but I had never been up in the residence. And one of the things that I don't know about you all, but I was raised in a way that you didn't look for anybody to wait on you. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, not going to finish the clip. Yeah, but. no. I, I Something? I read that and I had the same thought because I'm like, you know, he, it's, I can't even imagine that. I like, know, right? I just, I mean, I can't imagine it. Um, the, the, the previous, his predecessor was very generous. Um, yeah, he had huge parties. In <laughs> well, it was also fairly commonplace that meetings would um, start in the residence and then go down stairs or start downstairs and go to the residence i mean and oh you mean trump right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. my sister's even been up there yeah, but I mean, the pre but the previous president i i believe anyway maybe he didn't have anyone up in the residence i don't no, know I, you know the funny thing is is that the word on the word around the word around the um the word around the big house was that um that president obama uh, by the end of it was talking to three people yeah and Valerie, would, yeah, uh, Susan Rice, I guess, and whoever the chief of staff was, um, you know, and and that was it. And you know, and, and even at the beginning, he wasn't talking to too many people. And you know, that fit. Um, you know, as a senator, you asked, you forget he was on EPW as a senator. Um, he was, he was not, um, he was not particularly uh, involved with the other senators on EPW or the staff, right? Right. You can't, you can't, you know. Um, Andy Wheeler used to tell the story about how he used to come into hearings and sit down and eat his sandwich and ask his questions and get up and then leave. Yeah. And he would never say hi to anybody. Um, you know, and this was a committee of huggers, right? Barbara Boxer used to hug all the Republican staffers on that committee. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it fits is the short answer, but it's weird, right? It's very weird. Eight years, man. All right. Um, we're, we are, this is a long one. Um, what do you got? Anything else you want to talk about your column on uh, McConnell? No, everybody should read my column on McConnell and comment because everybody, every other crazy human being on the planet's commenting on it. So, all right, I will shoot it into the show notes as well. 
It's uh, really not about it's really not about McConnell. It's really about what do we do next? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was sort of the jumping the jump off was McConnell's comment about, you know, he believes we should think about electability as you can get elected, whatever that means. His his primary concern is electability. Yeah. My primary concern is not electability. So, yeah. Uh, and I, I happen to agree with you um, on, on what the primary concern should be. Um, so anyways, um, all right, well, I'm, I'm out, I'm fresh out. That, you know, after that collection of clips, I'm not sure what else could be there. Oh, oh like, I've got one more though for, for yeah. a clip of the day. Oh, well, let's hear it then and let's get everybody go. All right, so everybody knows that the Super Bowl was less than stellar. Um, kind of a yawner, in fact, and even the commercials are now boring as hell. Um, but there was one highlight that I wanted to play. I thought it was, um, I thought it was the highlight of the whole of the whole Super Bowl, and and it's only something the radio guy can capture. So here it is. Second down, twenty five oh three to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the forty. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's <laughs> to the 30, he breaks a tackle from a security guard, the 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5, he slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man! And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh why, <laughs> taking place in a Super Bowl. Kevin, if you're going to run that far, get into the end zone. Slide at the one. You got to score once you got on the field. Get into the end zone, my man. Lord, now they're cuffing him. But pull up his drawers, whatever you do. 503 to go. Timeout on the field. Highlight of the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's a highlight of the week, man. Oh, they're pants, man. All right, team, we'll, we'll work on getting a guest for you next time so you don't have to just hear us yammering. Peace out, everybody. That's a wrap. See you, man. Bye.